Amen. That's a good song, isn't it? Good message. I don't know, I was just uh, sitting back there thinking to myself, how refreshing is it to see three young ladies up here singing a song about that? And I'll tell you what, you go out in the world and boy, people are singing all kinds of songs about all kinds of things. Well, I'm glad there's some young people that still love the Lord and want to serve Jesus Christ. You know, if we're not careful, we get the idea from maybe just even our culture or possibly from those we speak to and talk to that... Nobody wants to hear and nobody wants anything to do with the Lord today. That's not true at all. You're living proof that's not true. And those three young ladies that stood up here and sang proved that they're not ashamed of the Lord. They're going to sing it out. And uh, boy, I'm excited about that. It's good to see these young people here over in the corner and some of the children and some of the others all gathered here young. I mean, I, I, mean, I know there's a, some of you guys that are older. But some of us young people, we're here too, amen? And uh, so it's a, that's refreshing. I love that. Take your Bible. Look at Acts chapter three, would you? Acts chapter three. I really warred with what to preach today, and and uh, I'm a little bit different with things. I I don't know. I don't do things maybe like a lot of preachers do. But I I I had a message that was kind of ready to roll, so to speak. And I don't know. I just uh, it just wasn't happening. So yesterday, you know, it just uh, I was reading through my Bible a little bit and came across this passage, and I really like this passage, and, and I thought, you know, it's a Thanksgiving weekend, because really, by the time we get together next Sunday, uh, Thanksgiving will be over, you know, and so this is kind of the Sunday, if I'm going to preach something on thankfulness, you know, uh, I need to preach it today, and, and so as I'm reading through my Bible, I come across this passage, and uh, I thought, wow, that, that could be a, you know, a thankfulness type of message, that could be one that fits perfect for this day, this occasion, and so um, I thought, well, we'll see where that goes. And so uh, I kind of just uh, read through it a few times and gave it some thought. And so today I want to look at that passage for just a few moments. Chapter 3, the book of Acts, if you would. And what I want to do basically is consider the passage and maybe at the end kind of draw it together and say, okay, here's a couple thoughts that we gather from that passage that I believe can be a help and a blessing to all of us. And uh, especially if you name the name of Christ. And if you don't, it can certainly be a help there, as we'll see along the way. So, <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we read, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. 
And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, the right hand, and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an awesome account. And again, may I remind you, this is not just simply a story. This literally happened. It is a historical fact that God's Word shares with us. There was a man, and that certain man was seated at the beautiful gate. I mean, right off the bat, we noticed a couple things. We noticed a few things, and, and, and I tell you what, for the sake of, of the message, let's just pray now so that when we get into it, we don't have to slow down or stop, okay? Let's pray. Father, in heaven, we need you. We thank you that you are seated, and we thank you, Father, that you are on your throne, and we are grateful that, Father, you not only hear prayer, but you answer it. Today we come to you asking that you would be exalted and magnified in this place. Lord, may your word truly speak to each heart. May it change our lives. May we not leave here the same as we came. Be glorified now, Lord, in this moment, this time. And may our focus be on you. May our direction be pointed toward you. May we not be distracted by Satan or the distractions of this old world which we live. May we, for just this moment, these next few minutes in time, truly focus our attention on you and your word. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we notice a couple of things. Right off the bat, Peter and John, it says, went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. So basically what we're saying is it's prayer meeting time. I mean, they're getting together and they're going into the temple. Now, it wasn't unusual for Jewish people to go to the temple even after Pentecost. It wasn't quite like it is today. It wasn't as though they had a bunch of church buildings and they had this church and that church and that one on the corner. No, they had the temple. Remember, they had been been, uh, forever going to the temple, forever going to the temple on Saturdays. And and boy, I'll tell you what, now all of a sudden they've come to Christ. Now Pentecost has taken place. Now they have a new life in Jesus Christ, but they're still going to the temple. They're still gathering together. They're still fellowshipping with one another. They're still praying together. And so we find that many of them, the Jews, gathering together. Many of them are saved. Many of them have trusted Christ. The church at Jerusalem is blowing up. It's exploding. And so they're meeting and they're coming there constantly, continually meeting together. And yet they met in houses as well, as we know, according to Acts chapter 2. So it's prayer meeting time here at the temple. And these new believers in Jesus Christ have gathered in His name It was the ninth hour, the Bible says. Oh, I understand there were other Jews there. I realize there were those that weren't saved. I get it. But they're going to be influenced now by those that are saved. And what we're going to find is, and by the way, that is not an endorsement for you as a believer going to a church that does not teach the truth and saying, I'm going to save the rest of this church. It's a different ballgame than it was then. It was totally different. It's not like you had options in those days, so to speak, as we have options. It's not like that. Now, it was the time of prayer. And so there they are, the ninth hour. The ninth hour would be basically three o'clock in the afternoon. Do you realize that if you'd look through the Word of God, you'd find that at that very time, the ninth hour, was a very important time in history as well. 
just before that, someone by the name of Jesus Christ had hung on Calvary. There he suffered, bled, and died for the sin of the world. Do you realize that it was between the sixth and the ninth hour that the world went dark? And it was in that ninth hour as the Lord Jesus Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he offered up his spirit unto the, the God of heaven. And you realize it was then that light came. So now we have this situation in this three o'clock afternoon hour, this ninth hour of the day, so to speak, that they are meeting for prayer. And it coincides with the very time that Jesus Christ himself had died and ultimately the light came back on. You say, what does that mean? We'll get to it maybe a little later. And so it was the very moment that Jesus Christ, that sin bearer for our sin, your sin, my sin, dismissed his spirit, bowed his head and died. What a perfect time for two men who loved the Lord Jesus Christ to come and pray. In Acts chapter 3, verse 2, notice he goes on to say here, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried. Now, we're not given the gentleman's name. It was a certain man. All right, so right off the bat, we're, we're under the impression that it is just any kind of guy. This is somebody. Now, he's going to describe this man. And in this particular case, he describes him as one that was lame from his mother's womb. But he was like any other man in that regard, though. We're not even given a name here. So this man here is lame from birth. And can you imagine what that meant to that little boy? Can you imagine growing up without the use of your legs? Can you imagine not being able to walk and not be able to run, not be able to do what all the other kids are doing in the neighborhood? Can you imagine his mom and dad, what they thought as they saw his legs possibly mangled or at least handicapped in some regard as he grew older? He could not take those first steps like many parents longed to see. And he wasn't able to, to do the things that his friends did. He couldn't go out and play sports and he couldn't get out and in the neighborhood and do those things. And mom and dad, I'm sure, watched and looked over him and thought to themselves, oh my, oh my, how broken hearted we are for our child. How it hurts to watch him in this situation and in these circumstances. He had to be carried everywhere. And let's be honest, having to be carried everywhere meant that he was always a burden to someone. And someone says, oh, he would never be a burden to his parents. Oh, my friend, then you've obviously not had to live with someone that you had to take care of. It is a burden. It's not one that you despise. It may be one that you embrace. It may be one that you say, it's not a burden. It's a, I do it out of love. But it is still a weight that you must bear. This young boy was always a burden in one sense to someone, someone close to him often. He had not walk. He couldn't work. He couldn't make any kind of money. He couldn't contribute financially with the exception of sitting outside of a beautiful gate. And, and there at that gate, he would ask for alms. He would ask for a handout. He would ask for someone to give him some money that he might just have a piece of, of, of bread at night before he went to bed. This is not a young boy anymore. This is a 40-year-old man, possibly. And so the only means of income that he has is what he gets sitting at that gate called beautiful there before that temple. Sitting at that gate as men and women walk by and as he casts his eye upon them, hoping that they'll look his direction, hoping that they'll see his need, hoping that they'll have pity and compassion on him. And there they'll give him something so that he can go home and have a piece of crust before he hits the sack that night. It says whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful, 
to ask alms of them that enter into the temple every day, day in, day out, day in, day out. They carried him and sat him at the gate. What a life. What a life. I mean, I don't know what he did for restrooms. I don't know what he did for food. I don't know how he handled that situation. But every day they carried him and they left him sit at the gate. And there he fended for himself as he sought alms. That's a situation there. We think we've got it bad. They laid him daily at the gate and it says the gate was called beautiful. And he asked alms. There were a number of gates that led into the temple. And this particular gate was on the outside. And it would go from the gate of the, 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 the court of the Gentiles, which would ultimately end up into the court of the women. Where the, as far as the women could go in the temple. So there was this gate. And so out here the Gentiles were permitted to gather. But they were not permitted to go past that point. If they went past that point, they were worthy of death. And they would enter in now, the Jew would enter in through that gate called Beautiful and render in into the, the gate of the women, into the, 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 the court of the women. And that's where he sat. This gate was beautiful. It was magnificent. It had a name because it was so beautiful, the gate beautiful. I guess if someone had to beg, I guess this was probably as good a spot as any. And there he laid daily. In chapter, in verse 3, it says, Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alm. I wonder if he had ever seen them before. I mean, think about it. I mean, they've had to have been there before, right? I wonder if he ever saw Judas. I wonder if Judas in the day would walk by this gate as well and, and maybe saw and out of compassion may have given something out of the bag. And yet we know that he didn't want to give anything away because it was really the money that he felt was his own, even though it was the disciples'. And the Lord's. I wonder if Judas ever did give him an alm. I wonder if he ever took money out of the bag and handed it to him. I wonder if he saw Jesus come through that gate. I mean, the Bible says that he's sitting at the gate daily. You've got to believe that at some point he saw Jesus Christ. I wonder why he didn't cry out, Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. Why didn't he do that? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But the fact that he was lame from his birth implies that he'd been a beggar a long time. It's interesting now that these two men come by. You have a man by the name of Peter. You have a man by the name of John. I mean, Peter's known for what? Pentecost. 3,000 being saved that day. I mean, these men have made a reputation for themselves. They, their reputation soared. I mean, everybody in Jerusalem knew about them. It had to be the case. I mean, they were talking about it. I mean, these believers that were being saved now out of the Jewish faith were still finding themselves in the temple fellowshipping and praying together. And then they would go back into homes and break bread. There were these things taking place. So you know that this beggar had to have heard them talking. He had to have heard of Jesus Christ. Some said that he was just a false prophet. Some said that he really did die and that, they stole, that, that, that the disciples stole his body just to kind of present or kind of somehow give the idea that he had risen from the dead and that he had, had ultimately went back to heaven. But then 
There were others that said, no, it wasn't a fake and it wasn't some kind of plant and it wasn't someone stealing a body. It was literally God who died that day on that cross. And he had, he heard it all. He heard it all. And now they stand before him. And what does he want from these men? These famed preachers. He wants just an alm. I got to believe that Peter, I mean, Peter walking by him and John and and this man fixes his eyes on him and he fixes his eyes on this, this, this lame man and he, he sees him begging for an alm and, and, and I got to believe that Peter looks at him and says, well, I don't got nothing. I got nothing for you. I mean, he's expecting something, right? I mean, he says, he gave heed unto them. Why? Because they said, hey, listen, look on us. He walks by, look on us. Hey, look on us. Do you you see us? Hey, by the way, do you know that people in the world don't see Jesus till they see him in you? You realize that? That's an important thought, I think. Do you realize, too, that, and it's interesting, too, we'll kind of wrap this up a little bit later, but think about this for a minute. This lame fella, this man who's lame, this certain man, is a picture of the human race. I want you to think about this for a minute. You know, men are born lame, with no standing before God at all. Why? Because we're simply sinners. We stumble and we fall through life. That's all we do without Jesus Christ. And here this man, this certain man, lay worn and wearied by life. He scans the face of, of, of people. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we are. The fact is, is if we are simply poor, I mean the very best person in this world, outside of Christ is hopelessly crippled spiritually. The wealthiest ones are spiritual beggars. And, and yet, there he lay. Representing all mankind, worn and weary. There he lay, searching and scanning the faces of everyone that walks by, just hoping for a morsel of help, a shred of pity, a touch of charity. That's all he seeks. He doesn't even know what his greatest need is. He's given up on this problem with crippleness. He he doesn't ever expect to walk again. It's been at least 40 years probably since he's been burdened and and grounded, so to speak. He's not getting up. He's not going to walk. He's never going to work. He's always going to be seeking alms. If he could just get something, anything, if you would just have pity on me. And that is the state of mankind today. We knock on a door and we wonder why they don't want to listen. We wonder why they don't want to hear. Maybe because they don't even understand their need. All they want is a morsel. All they want is someone to have compassion on them. All they want is some pity. They'll never see Jesus until they see Him in us. It says that He gave heed unto them. Fourth, expecting to receive something. And why not, right? I mean, why in the world would Peter say, look at me. Come on, give me your attention here. I mean, if anything, you know how it is. You pull off the highway and there's those people sitting there begging and they've got their little signs. We'll work for food or whatever it might be. And you know how it is. You drive up and you really don't even want to look at them. You just won't want to make eye contact. You'd prefer just to sit at the light and and pretend you don't know they're there. And then you hit the gas and you go around the corner and you drive away. 
And I got to believe that this man sitting there at the gate, a beautiful, all that time, probably for years. And the people have almost gotten used to seeing him there and they probably passed by. Try not, not to make eye contact. But Peter did. John did. And he said, look on us. Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, the Bible says, expecting to receive something from them. Why not? Then Peter said, and this is unbelievable, silver and gold have I none. Can you imagine right then? He's sitting at the gate, and he's, alms, alms for a lame man. Peter says, look up here. And he says, silver and gold have I none. The dude's like, are you kidding me? What? Why are you even trying to get my attention? I mean, are you kidding me? You know I'm begging for an alms. You know I want something here. And by the way, it was a normal thing for people who could not work to seek alms. It wasn't quite like it is in our culture today. We use the word beg, but in reality, it wasn't really viewed that way. It was their means by which they had an existence. We didn't, they didn't have the social programs that we have in America. They didn't have food stamps and they didn't have government funding. They didn't have government housing. They didn't have government cheese. They sat for alms. Silver and gold have I none. And he continues, but such as I have give I thee. I mean, this man wanted money, right? And you know what? I got to think about this for a minute. Okay, here he is sitting. There he is, just sitting, seeking alms, right? Peter and John are walking by, and they, they make eye contact. He makes eye contact with them, and they say, Listen, look up here. He looks and says, Silver and gold have I none. I got nothing for you. Now, what would that, what did he want? He wanted some money, he wanted something. Just enough to where he could go home that night and eat something before he went to bed so he wasn't starving that night. Hold on. Here's what I believe. And I'm not so sure about this. I wonder if Peter had money on him that day. I wonder if he would have had just a nickel, a dime, a quarter, a dollar. I wonder if he would have saw that he had money. I wonder if he would have given him what he asked and went right on. But he had nothing to give him. And his heart broke with compassion as he saw that lame man. And what he said was, I don't have silver and gold. I don't have what you're really looking for. But I know what you need. And so I'll give you what I do have. And I'm sure that at this point, this beggar's looking at him going, are you kidding me? Look at you guys. You don't have two nickels to rub together. You're just old fishermen, probably. I can tell the way you're dressed, you don't have the best of clothes. You're as poor as I am, it looks like, with the exception that at least you can work and walk. What are you going to give me? Such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What he may not have understood at that point was that although they may not have had silver and gold, these two men had the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Ghost. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And they were able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. They were able to do miracles because of the power of Christ in their life. He expected to receive something, but he wasn't expecting to get what he was going to get that day. 
You know, there's a story about Thomas Aquinas. There's a story told that says Thomas Aquinas visited Pope Innocent II and he found him counting a large sum of money. He said, ah, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. This is true, your holiness, said Aquinas, but then neither can it now say arise and walk. You know, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Think about what we have today in our churches. Think about what God has blessed us with financially. Think about the many blessings that we have. And someone says, oh, you're a rich church then. Well, you might be surprised. It looks like we have a lot of money. But let me tell you something. It's, it's not like that. But by the same token, may I say this, though? Go to some third world countries and see how believers live there. Go to third world countries where they don't have cars and phones necessarily or, or they don't have the kind of blessing that we have to go to a grocery store and buy what we want off shelves. They don't have the kind of programs that we have here to make sure there's food in our bellies and there's a roof over our head. May I say to you today that we are rich in America and we are rich in the church and yet we have no power. Sadly, in those days, the church had nothing financially, physically. But boy, they had the power of God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. I mean, the beggar had to have heard of Jesus, right? I mean, all of Jesus had been talking. I mean, all of Jerusalem had been talking about him. But now he's going to have an opportunity to... Trust in that Jesus. To by faith take that step that will ultimately lend him or lead him to a new life. Look at verse 7. It goes on to say, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaped up, stood, and walked, and entered with him into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, I want you to understand here what's happening. Realize that here's this man for probably at least 40 years is seated at this gate. He's not walked in his whole lifetime. He doesn't even know what it means to walk with the exception of seeing others do it. He doesn't know how it feels. He doesn't know what it would be like. He can only imagine. He can only dream. And now this, these two men come by, these fishermen, so to speak, that are now preachers. I mean, by trade, they are fishermen, but by calling, they are preachers. And now they come by and say, listen, I ain't got a dime for you, man. I am broke. I have nothing financially for you. But what I do have, I'll give to you in his name, Jesus's name, rise and walk. And he reaches out and he takes him by the right hand and he helps Gives him the strength to say, okay, I guess I'll do it. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about you, brother, but if I hadn't walked my whole life and some guy comes along and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. I don't know if I'd have been, I'd have been like, are you kidding? But he reaches his hand out. It's interesting how this works. You see, he started, he didn't know whether to take my hand or not because he's kind of afraid I'm going to lift him up and you'll see him. But as soon as he took my hand, guess what? It made it easier for him to stand. Now, let me tell you something. The world needs someone to reach out. The world needs somebody to say, listen, I may not have gold and silver. I may not have the things that you think you need, but I have what's most important. I have what you really need. And I'm reaching out and I'm trying to help you and I'm going to give Christ to you if you'll receive him. And boy, I'll tell you what, he took his hand and he stood up. And the Bible says, 
boom, right then. Isn't it interesting? Some people get the impression or the idea that salvation takes time. You gotta work through it. I mean, you gotta pray through, man. It doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen when you ask. I mean, you can ask, but you have to seek the Lord. You gotta stay faithful. You gotta give your life to Jesus. You can't sin. You gotta walk according to His Word, and then maybe you'll get to heaven. I'm gonna tell you something. If we see this particular beggar, he stands up, and may I say to you today, his cure was instantaneous. I mean, he, he stood and his ankles got strength and the bones went back in place and he was able to not only walk, but he was able to leap. Woohoo! Praise God! Praise Jesus! Praise the Lord! That's exactly what the Bible says he was doing. You say, that's crazy. What a ridiculous spectacle he became. I'll tell you what, if you hadn't walked in 40 years, if you'd always been grounded, because of your physical situation and circumstances, I promise you, if you could have stood up that day and walked, you'd have done the same thing. No gradual cure. Instantaneous. He's no longer chained to charity. He was free. And all Jerusalem was before him. I mean, he could go anywhere he wanted now. The world was before him. He could, I mean, he could sail. He could... Go across the sea. He could go to different nations and countries. The world was before him now. Where before he was bound by whomever would carry him. Now he was free to go as he pleases. Anywhere he wanted. He could run home. He could hop. He could skip. He could jump whenever he chose. Question. Where did he go? Where did he go? The world's before him. He could have ran home that day. Oh, oh, look at me. I can run. Woohoo! But he didn't. Look where he went. Remember, he's a picture of a lost man who has no standing before God. A lost man who is grounded by his sin, bound and chained by his sin. And the man of God comes by. The woman of God can come by and extend the hand of faith and say, Man, if you'll only trust Jesus Christ, if you only receive the Lord, I'm telling you, you can rise and walk. Where did he go? Well, notice where he went. It says here in verse 8, And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. Isn't that something? Of all the places he could have gone after being healed, I can't imagine. I wonder if his wife was there that day, if he had a wife. He may not have had because he couldn't really support a wife unless his family was gracious enough to do it on his behalf. But I just wonder. He had to have a mother. He had to have a father, at least a brother or sister, somebody that loved him. What about those guys that carried him there that day? Somebody that he could have gone to and said, look at me. But once he was healed and he stood, he went into the temple. He went to that place of fellowship, that place of prayer. And you know, that's always a good sign in a life that's supposed to be touched and transformed by the name of Jesus. 
I don't know about you, but it's rather alarming to me that we can say that we're saved. That we were once beggars and we were grounded in sin. We were bound by sin. We were in no place. We could do nothing on our own. We were just a mess. And Jesus Christ came along one day and He healed us and He helped us and He raised us up to walk in newness of life. And yet we find no time for Him. That's alarming. I don't know about you, but that concerns me. When someone doesn't see the need to be in God's house and fellowshipping with God's people. That's alarming. It's concerning to me. This man went into the temple walking, leaping, and praising God. Do you know one of the biggest reasons we need some new converts outside of the fact that it honors Christ and pleases the Lord Jesus? Because we, you and I, need new converts. You say, what do you mean? They're leaping. They're excited. They're fired up about what Jesus did in their life after we've long grown cold and indifferent to the things of Christ. They're still on fire. You look at any dead church in America and you'll find a church that hasn't seen a soul saved. Acts 3, 9 through 11, as we close this out here. We haven't gotten to it, but I have to rush because we're running out of time. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. They've already been at the prayer meeting. They've already been, they've been in the prayer meeting. Notice all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. The prayer meeting's over here. Peter, John, and that healed man... They come from the temple. They go back through the gate, beautiful. They make their way there to the eastern direction across the outer court towards Solomon's, is, is it's, it's, they would call it a colonnade. So they're not in that temple anymore. They're no longer there. But hold on, he's still holding on to John. He's still holding on to Peter. Wow. I wonder. Can you imagine? He's coming out of the gate. And he's holding on. He's still like, God, you're so good to me. Boy, isn't it interesting that he doesn't give Peter the glory? He gave God the glory. So he's, but, but, but he doesn't want to leave either one of them. He's so enthralled with God. He's so fired up with Jesus. He's so encouraged by the brethren that he's holding on for dear life. I can't let go of them. I can't let go of them. I can't let go of them. How's come weekend so easily? Hold on, here it is though, watch. He's leaving now, holding on. I don't know if he's holding hands, I don't know. I don't know if he had his arm around him. I don't know if he's just holding on to their skirt. I don't know what he's holding on to, but it says he held him. He's walking by. Can you imagine with me for a moment? He walks right by the place he was seated at the gate. He stops and he looks at Peter and John and says, All right, fellas, it's been good, but... I'll see you the next time you come back. I'll just sit here. I enjoyed walking for a while, and I enjoyed being able to hang out with the brethren, but I'll just go back to my old ways. Do you think that's what he did? Oh, no. No, not at all. Man, he's holding on. He's looking at that. And the tears come to his eyes. Oh, God, that's where I was for 40 years. I never want to go back. I never want to go back. I never want to go back.
Why does it seem we're so quick to want to go back? And here, here it is, okay? Maybe it's because we're not nearly as grateful for what he did for us as we ought to be. And maybe we downplay what he did for us on Calvary. Maybe we downplay what he did for us in our sinful state. Maybe it really, when it was all said and done, we just wanted saved in sin, not from sin. Save me in my sin, Lord Jesus. There's nothing I want to change. I just want a ticket to heaven. That's not repentance, folks. We're saved from sin. I'm telling you, that beggar wanted nothing to do with that gate any longer. He never wanted to sit there again. I bet you as he walked by every once in a while, he might have been tempted to say, I just want to see what it would be like. I ain't even sitting down. I've sat there for years. I'm not going to take a chance on not getting back up. I wonder today, are you quick to want to go back to what and who you used to be? And the Bible makes it clear that He's a picture of all of us today that are lost. We're born into sin. We're going to die in our sin. And without Jesus Christ, we are crippled spiritually speaking and we cannot walk on our own. We need Jesus Christ who died on Calvary to pay for our sin through the shed blood. If the Son therefore shall make you free... You shall be free indeed. Why would we want to go back to that life of bondage again? Again, could it be that we just don't have the right heart of gratitude and attitude of thankfulness that we ought to have? Maybe what you did for me, Jesus, isn't really that big a deal after all. I hope that that's not the case in your life. I certainly don't want it to be the case in my life. But this morning, there are those amongst us possibly that have never, ever been extended a hand of opportunity. They're still seated at the gate. Oh, they're close to the temple. They're close to religion. But religion that still kills and leaves a man or a woman crippled spiritually. It's not religion that you need this morning. It's a Redeemer. And I encourage you today, if you've never trusted and put your faith in Jesus, that today you'd say, I know that He came with a purpose and a reason, and that purpose and reason was me. I can't get to heaven my own. I can't have a relationship with the God of creation without Him. I want to be right with God. I want God in my corner. I want to be a child of God. And I'm going to beg God, Oh God, save me, forgive me. Hey listen, don't ask God to save you in the sense of, Lord, give me the strength to be saved. You don't need the strength to be saved. Oh Lord, help me to repent. No, you don't need help to repent. You just need to repent. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to think about it. It says today is the day of salvation. You just simply need to take the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and stand up and be raised to walk in newness of life. You just simply need to place your faith in Him and He will forgive you, save you, and place you into His body and into His family. Instantaneously. And if you're a child of God today, I wonder, how has your 
experience with Christ enabled you to love God's house and people like you ought to? Do you see a change in your life? Is there a heart for the things of God, the people of God, the will of God, the work of God? Maybe we're not as grateful as we'd like to believe. May God help us, like the lame man, to be quick to praise Him. Father, we come to You. We ask, Lord, that You'd bless us today and